I heard a, uh, during handshaking, I think it's the first time I've heard this one young voice that had a hand being shaken excessively said, my hand is killing me. <laughs> Credit to Mr. Menard, I think, was what I saw. My hand is killing me. The word of the Lord in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and go back to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night that pillar was full of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. Pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahirath between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zaphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, or say of the people of Israel, they have wandered in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And then they did so. This concludes the reading of Scripture with the Lord add his blessing to the reading. You can be seated. I mentioned a moment ago that sometimes we are blessed to have people who can't be with us physically with us uh, through the live stream. Uh, and one of those families that tunes in regularly, James and Melissa, may be tuning in this morning. If so, good morning. But they sent us a missionary prayer update recently. And they said this, and I want to use it as an opening for our sermon today. Our pre-field journey has been longer than most. It took more than five years to finally arrive in Mango, Africa, as full-fledged career missionaries. As we look back now, we are grateful to God that we didn't know the twists and turns the season would take. He knows that sometimes all we can handle is, quote, do the next thing. Of course, now that we are finally in the next season, we can indeed see the incredible ways that God was growing and shaping us to be ready for our time here. And as we face the new challenges, 
that this time here will inevitably present, we rest confident in the knowledge the Lord will continue to use uncomfortable things and challenging times to refine us, to be better tools for spreading the word and to draw closer to conformity with Christ. As I was preparing this sermon from Exodus 13 and 14, and I read that missionary report, I thought, that's the testimony of one Christian saying exactly what we're going to study in the Exodus. The road from where the Israelite people were told they could leave to the land of promise was the Via Maris. It was a highway, well-traveled, pretty convenient. And the walk from Egypt to the promised land is about a two-week travel. And you've probably heard the story of the Exodus. They are going to be in the wilderness for half a century. As we study this text, we have another opportunity to have our faith encouraged. That even when we can't see how God is leading the way that he's leading, or why it's unfolding the way it's unfolding, that God sees what we don't and knows what we don't, and that his leading is faithful, and more so, his leading is in accordance with covenant promises. There, there are going to be some vivid reminders in Exodus 13 and 14 that God is doing what he had covenanted to do. Like, for instance, the bones of a man who had died 400 years earlier. For instance, a cloud and a fire representing the presence of God, something we had seen earlier in the covenant with Abraham. Our faith is served by this text. Our faith is encouraged that God is in fact leading even when we would conclude that way of leading doesn't make the most sense. So the title for the sermon is When God Leads in Unpredictable Paths. We have come out of this study of these ten plagues. And you, you remember what we learned? We learned be forever grateful for lasagna because haggis looks definitely disgusting. That's what we learned. And maybe some more, I hope, over the last few months. We spent these last few months looking at these 10 plagues, 11 miraculous signs, 10 plagues. And these 10 plagues were evidence that what God had said to Moses before he even went to Egypt was true. God said, Pharaoh's going to be hard-hearted, and it's going to require a strong hand to deliver the people. To do what was promised, it's going to take a lot of might. And then God, for them and for us, shows he has that strong hand. He is that might. And so we are standing here now on the beginning, the threshold of the exit of the people of God from bondage and captivity. And as we look forward into the decades of wandering, I want to start by giving us four reasons why God's paths 
don't always make immediate sense to us. How sometimes God's directing doesn't conform to what we, from our current perspective, would map out. To help us with this, as I read through this text, I had so many vivid reminders of the 23rd Psalm. You probably know the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Right? You may even be able to recite. It's possible that this might be the one chapter in Scripture that some of us could actually recite an entire chapter. But as I studied through Exodus 13 and starting into 14, Psalm 23.3, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. As we study this revelation from Exodus 13, I want you to keep in mind that at the heart of the 23rd Psalm is one statement, for his name's sake. That's at the center of the 23rd Psalm. There are so many wonderful and comforting promises in the 23rd Psalm and at the heart of all of them. So 23rd Psalm falls into a sort of didactic form. Uh, uh, nope. Say it again. Dia- chiastic, chiastic. A chiastic form. Thank you all. You were saying it right and I was having a hard time hearing. A chiastic form, which tells us that at the middle of it is the main point. And at the middle of the 23rd Psalm is for his name's sake. So what we're going to read about how God sometimes leads us in unpredictable paths, we should keep in mind that ultimately it's true to say they are for his name's sake. So we want to get started with these four as we begin studying God revealing himself through the work of exiting his people from bondage. Let me pray quickly for our time and sermon. Lord, I pray that you would work in wonderful ways to bless your people through the reading and through the explaining and through the applying of Scripture. I pray that you would cause me to be a servant that's faithful to the task of preaching and do a work from, from in me, from the inside out. I pray that we would be a people who are not just hearers of this word, but that we would be transformed and be doers of this word. In Christ's name, amen. The first of these four points that I want to give you this morning is, God sometimes leads in unpredictable paths as he leads us with fatherly care. Uh, could you just say that back to me? He leads us with fatherly care. He leads us with fatherly care. That is the first thing we see in the Exodus. Look with me at verse 17 and 18. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I and some friends went to visit Honduras. And while we were there, we uh, got a little adventurous and decided we wanted to explore and found a, 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 pretty, a pretty crude map and decided we wanted to get to a coastline on the other side of the island. And uh, so we 
uh, took our, our vehicle and began the trek through what we thought was the shortest route. It looked like on the map the shortest route. And it was a terrible pass. It was terrible. It was a, a rocky edge. Uh, it seemed like it had become the community uh, dump. I think it was the place where they would go and, and, and take care of their garbage. And as we were, we'd made our way over this muddy and, and terrible pass, and we were on our way down, and we passed this little hut, and there's some men there. And as we pass, we have the windows down, and we look over, and one of the men looks at us and goes, turn around. And we kept driving um, and got down to the bottom of this, this hill and drove into a village where we realized we were not welcome and, and then quickly tried to escape and, and we drive back up this pass and get stuck. And then uh, this truck with several men uh, um, uh, arrived for one of two reasons and uh, thankfully it was the one we wanted and they help us and they push us out and we arrive back to where we should have never left safely. On the map, I just, look, I just looked at the map again the other day. On the map, I thought, how did we wind up in that situation? And I realized how. I looked at the roads on that map, and that was the shortest one. I thought, well, less time, less trouble. <laughs> That's not true, and it's not true right here. God does not lead them on the easiest highway, the Via Maris. That's an easy highway. Well-traveled, relatively safe, and the shortest distance between two points. God does not lead them that way because that led them straight through the land of the Philistines. To get from Egypt to Canaan on the Via Maris required walking through Philistine country. They occupied the region immediately northeast of Egypt. The Philistines are already at this time a strong army. In fact, in 1188, the Philistines actually tried to invade Egypt. That tells you how much they thought they could do in military conflict. They tried to invade Egypt. Also, the Philistines had their eyes set on conquering Canaan for themselves, making it one of their additional city-states. So, if this band of refugees marches through Philistia and says, hey, we're headed to Canaan, it's going to be ours, God's given it to us. Hmm. Seems like the first thing we have to do is kill all of you because we're intending to claim Canaan for ourselves. So, God does not lead them on the Via Maris through Philistia. Even though, I, I know, and maybe like me, you read this and thought, well... He could have, right? I mean, he could have. He could have sent this little fragile band of recently released servants right into the teeth of the Philistines. And he could have told them, stand firm, I will win this for you. He could have. And I wonder how they would have responded. I don't have to wonder long. Because you see, just a few years later, when they were confronted with difficulty, they said to each other, let's go back to Egypt now. And that's exactly what the Father, God, says about his children. He says, I, I don't want to even put them in a situation where their faith in me might be tested right now because 
I think they'll run back into Egypt. Well, you say, okay, but it doesn't have to be that hard. That's what I thought. I, I thought, well, couldn't God just wipe the Philistines off the face of the earth so they could travel this road? Well, yes, sure. I mean, eventually that's what happens to the Philistines. Once their purpose on the earth is done, God just, they're done. Nobody knows where the Philistines went or who the Philistines were or who descends from the Philistines. God was done with them and they ceased to be. And I thought, well, couldn't that just happen? Well, n- not yet, not justly. Philistines haven't done anything yet to God's people. Not like the Egyptians. They had enslaved and burdened and rejected God's instruction. Philistines haven't done that yet. So God's not inclined to wipe them off the face of the earth. Instead, the Philistines are going to be dealt with later. Because God knew if they face war, they might change their mind and return It's hard for us to believe, I know. Could they possibly, after seeing the might of their God and the promise of his faithfulness, could they really get to one brief struggle and say, that's it, we're going back. Well, we're not going to get to it today, but we're going to get to it in chapter 14 next week. That's exactly what they do. They say, there weren't enough grave sites in Egypt? You brought us out here to be buried? They're, they're not real persevering people. It's good for us to study their life. God, in compassion, demonstrates that they were unprepared to face that challenge. And he also helps us understand that these people, without divine intervention, aren't going to do well in conflicts, which is true. And God's going to repeatedly affirm that he will provide for them in those conflicts. So God leads them on a different road by way of the wilderness, verse 18 says, toward the Red Sea. Now look at the end of verse 18. I think we could do something helpful with this. The version of the scripture that I'm reading from today is the English Standard Version. It's one of those that have helped English-speaking people. But they chose to interpret it this way, that they left equipped for battle. Huh. Well, that, that seems like that would be odd, right? In verse 18, they left equipped for battle, but in verse 17, God says, no way I can let them walk into a potential battle. Well, the Revised Standard Version uh, helps us a little bit with this. The, the, the Hebrew literally means they were organized by 50s, which is a military organization. They were in rank. They were in file. They were organized by 50. But it doesn't mean they were ready for battle. You know, being organized for battle and being ready for battle are not the same thing. God knows they're not ready for a battle, even though they're marching in groups at this point. The fact that they're marching in groups may indicate that they thought they were prepared for conflict. But God is a wise and caring father who does not lead them in that road. This reminds me of Psalm 23, 2. The Lord is our shepherd. He, as a father, leads us by green pasture. 
and still water. This reminds us of how God leads us. Even when we think, well, the quickest way to get there would be the Via Maris. Why, why are we walking into the desert? Because you might feel like you are walking into the desert. You might feel right now like you've been walking in the desert for a long time. And I hope that this revelation of who God is blesses your faith and reminds you that sometimes the very convenient, smooth highway your Father knows leads you to a conflict that you're not ready for. And so the wilderness and all of its inconveniences and all of its time is the way your Father knows you should go. So use care when trying to figure out why God hasn't sent you down the highway. And this could be a myriad of things. Let me just use one for this point before we move on. It might be your familial status. You might be here and you're married. And you say, my marriage has been a struggle for years and years. Why has God led me down that road? And the first thing I want to say to you, husband and wife, is that I want to speak a gospel freedom into your potential despair. God has not led you into a marriage for you to be the happiest. God leads all of us into marriages for the potential of our holiness. It's our holiness. God is completing the work of Christ's likeness that he began in us. And most often, friends, you would agree, you would agree with me verbally, even though functionally in the moment of hardship, you would say, I don't, I don't like that agreement. You would agree with me that our growth happens most faithfully when things are harder than when they're easier. And yet sometimes we long for the marriage without struggle. But you need to remember, God didn't put you in the marriage he put you in for you to experience heaven on earth, but for you to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that sometimes happens when things are more difficult. The other side of that equation, when we stand and we wonder about, why has God put me on this familial road? And there's a wide variety. But what about the person who says, well, I'm not even married. Why are the married people, you know, grieving their marriage? I'm, I'm not married. Married people saying, maybe I'm not supposed to be married. And unmarried people saying, well, why am I not married? And I want to assure all of you in your family, in your marital status or singleness, that God definitely has put you on a road for you as a father. This we see right away. Look at verse 19, and we see what's next. God leads in what might be unpredictable paths because he leads us in fatherly care. Second, he leads us in paths of righteousness. Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Joseph made the sons of Israel solemnly swear. Joseph says, I don't have any doubt there's going to come a day 
God is going to show up in mercy and he's going to deliver us to the place he promised to send us. And so when that time happens, because I believe it, I want you to carry my remains with you. The salvation promised long ago and everyone who believed it was going to be saved and Joseph understood the promise of God to Abraham. Joseph, uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis 50 that Joseph had been embalmed. And so even though this text says take the bones, there's probably some sort of uh, a mummified remains. It's probably more than just a potato sack of bones. They're probably carrying some sort of corpse. Ooh. God leads us in unpredictable paths. Uh, yeah, when you're on this journey through the hot desert, uh, carry, carry Joseph. Wait, wait. You mean his kid, Joseph? No, 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 the old, old Joseph. We might read this and think, this is a kind of an obscure distraction in the narrative. But this verse reminds us of something very important. These are the people God is leading according to covenant faithfulness. He leads us in paths of righteousness. Hebrews 11.22 says of Joseph, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his remains. Centuries before, Joseph believed the promise of God that God was going to lead them to a place not of happier existence, but a place that represented God's covenant promise. God had literally cut a deal. You know the expression, cut a deal? Let's, let's cut a deal here. God, I'm going to say more about cutting a deal later. God had cut a deal with Abraham, and Joseph was convinced. He said, okay, you can bury me temporarily here, but you're going you're gonna to take my remains with you because I know where we're going. And then he died. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Joseph says, well, I'm going to die here in Egypt. I guess, I guess the promises of God didn't work out for me. It's not what he said. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death and said, this death won't undo your promise. And I want to say this applicationally. Death might be breaking your heart in all sorts of ways. It might be the death of someone else who you've lost. And, and you might legitimately be wrestling with the question of, does, does God care about this? Has God stopped loving me? And I, I want to encourage you that like carrying Joseph's bones, they were reminded even in the valley of death, we don't fear that you've abandoned us. 
And so it might be the loss of someone that you love dearly. But it might be your own. It might be your own mortality. I'm not going to live forever. When I die, will God remember his promise to me? You might be ill. You might be living with a recent diagnosis. I'm thinking, this is it. The promises failed, and I'm just going to die. And you might be tempted to think that. And we have texts like Psalm and like Exodus that remind us God's promises are not undone by our physical demise. God's promises are not undermined by our own mortality, by our own physical weakness. However, I would remind you that this text tells us that God is leading and He is leading all of us toward an everlasting existence after this life. And so I just want to say, quickly in way of evangelizing and sharing the necessity of all men and women to be saved that God is leading us to what he's promised after this life and he has promised that all of those whose lives are united in Christ all of those who are in Christ in faith believing confessing following trusting Christ they will never be cast out promise he is also promising that all of those who don't do his will, all of those who reject his Messiah, his Savior, that they will ultimately hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Enter into everlasting punishment. His promises, his paths, are leading toward something after our life and death. Please know that that path for you depends on your receiving and believing Jesus Christ. The next thing we see here about God's revelation is that he leads his people personally in abiding presence. He leads his people personally in abiding presence. Look at verse 20. The Lord went... Yeah, I lost my place. Gary just whispered 21. That's because I have to turn a page. And they moved on. Oh, that's not the right verse. 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The second stage of the journey begins with the people on the border. They're on the border, which is important because the people are being observed by Egyptian authorities. They're being observed by watchmen, by scouts, and they're ready to leave. And the Lord provides for them his presence. His presence comes in a cloud. Uh, could you please just say the words a cloud? 
Okay, singular cloud. That's kind of important. Maybe you're like me, and before today, you thought there was a cloud, and then the cloud went away, and then the fire showed up at night. That's, that's not what the text says. The text says it's a pillar of cloud, and at night, there's something inside the cloud that lights it up, like fire. That's what the text says. So the text doesn't say like, oh, it must be morning, the cloud just, or the cloud just blew in. Oh, it must be night, the cloud blew away, and now here's the fire. It's one pillar. Like a cloud, during the day, they could see it. And at night, when you can't see the clouds, except for when they block the stars, at night, the cloud was internally illuminated, like fire. But it's one cloud. Because the cloud is the presence of God. Not day God, and then night God, God. The cloud is literally the Shekinah glory of God. Look at verse 21, the second half. The Lord went before them. Not the Lord sent a supernatural cloud. The Lord went before them as the Shekinah glory, the glory that they would only later understand more fully in the tabernacle. The Lord went before them like a smoke like a fire because he had cut a deal to do just that now track with me here okay this is important it's exciting but it could be confusing okay track with me the lord leads them like smoke and fire joseph said i know he's going to do that because he cut a deal with Abraham. Let me read for you about when God cut a deal. Genesis 15. Then God said to Abraham, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old. And he brought them and he laid them down and cut them in half. You ever heard the expression cut a deal? This is probably where it comes from, Genesis 15. Bring me the animals. We'll cut them in half, and we'll pull the two parts a half, and everyone who's engaged in this covenant promise will walk in between the bottom half and the top half. What? Okay. What that means is we promise that we will do the thing we've said today, or our demise will look like this. We will be torn asunder, and our entrails spilled on the ground. Okay, can we just pinky swear? (laughs) God tells Abraham, go get these animals, and those are the ones that I just read that get cut in half. And as the sun's going down, a deep sleep falls on Abraham. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for sure that your offspring, like Joseph, They're going to be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and they'll be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoke 
and a flaming torch went between the two parts. And God cut a deal with Abraham. And the presence of God was smoke and fire. I told you that was exciting. One more quick word. If, let's say my brother Frank King and I enter into a covenant together and we do the animal halves. I, I, don't, I don't have that scheduled, Frank, but okay. We, we do that. When, when you and I are going to do that, and I say, okay, Frank, this is the agreement we have. We're going to walk through. If I start walking through animal parts, and I look back and you're not walking through, I'm, I'm coming back out. I'm like, what? I'm not promising this by myself. It's not going to be me torn in half if this doesn't go well. We're in this together. That's not the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham passed out. You're fine. The part you have to do, you can do unconsciously. And then God walks through the two halves. That's the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. As I read through this, I'm reminded that the God who leads in unpredictable paths doesn't lead us in mystery. Okay, just guess what I'm trying to do. He leads us presently. He leads us with us leading. The Israelites knew all day and all night that God was with them. And the church and Christians can know the same all day and all night. He will never leave us or forsake us. Psalm 23, 4. I will not fear evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can tell you're shepherding me, because whether it's smoke or fire or rod or staff or your promises or your word or praying, or the encouragement of your people, I'm reminded you are with me. God leads like a father. God leads us in paths of righteousness. God leads us presently. And then lastly for this morning, God leads us in those ways that magnify his faithfulness. Sort of like what I said before about God seldom leads us in the way that is most enjoyable or easy or delightful for us, but rather in the way that is healthiest and most helpful for us. And that way is the way of his faithfulness to us, magnifying himself. So look at verse, our chapter 14. We're going to look at the first four verses where we read, Tell the people now to turn back. To go and camp in front of Pihahirath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. They're at the border. Basically, if, if, if I can venture an estimation, they're not on the Via Maris. They're headed into the wilderness. 
they have the presence of God's leading day and night, and then God says, go south. There's water south. Go south. You stand on the threshold of the thing that makes the most sense next to you, and then God says, go stand on the bank. And you think, this is unpredictable. There's nothing I can do there to help myself. You want me to go stand on the bank of the Red Sea? Just listen. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people to go. Go south. Go stand on the bank of the Red Sea. Verse 3. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they've wandered in the land. They're just, they're just, they're lost. They're wandering around. And now look at them. They're trapped. So God says, when you look trapped, and you will be, then I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he'll say to himself, I'm going after him. But God says, I'm going to get the glory over Pharaoh and over all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So Israel did it. They're at the border crossing. Yeah, it's the wilderness is not the Via Maris, but it's the border. It's 400 years of slavery, and we were just about to cross the border. And he says, uh, instead, stay in country and go down to the bank of the Red Sea. And uh, when you get there, Pharaoh's going to know you're there. He's going to assume you're lost, that you've been abandoned, and he's going to come after you. And he's probably really mad. And they did it. All of this is a divine uh, ruse. One last interaction between Yahweh. Remember what Pharaoh said the first time Moses said Yahweh's name? What? Never heard of him. There's going to be one last interaction between Pharaoh and the God Pharaoh hadn't heard of. The location is promptly reported back to Pharaoh. Hey, hey, hey! They're just walking in circles. They can't get out. I think the God who did all this amazing stuff has left them. You think, right? You read this story and you think, no way Pharaoh can be dumb enough to think. It's gone that way ten times. And <laughs> he just assumes the people are powerless? That's exactly what he assumed. You know why Pharaoh assumed that? Pharaoh is about to make a fatal mistake because Pharaoh's theology was bad. Pharaoh's life ends due to bad theology. The study of God. Pharaoh has a theology. It's Egyptian. And in Pharaoh's theology, there's a bunch of gods. He's a polytheist. And those gods are fickle. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. So, like you know in James 4, when James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Th that thing can't be said about the true God. Obey God, and then he'll move on to the next person. Because God is omnipresent. Pharaoh's bad theology said, oh, the gods, they come and go, they lose interest, they move on to the next thing, like the false god Satan does. 
Like, he tempts you, he tempts you, he tempts you. I won't get into that. He tempts you, and then, and then resist him, and he'll move on to the next person. Because he would be a false god. That's all Pharaoh knows in his broken theology is false gods who are fickle, they're trivial, they're not omnipresent, they come and go, they change their minds. And Pharaoh looks out in bad theology and says, oh, I couldn't conquer your God, but I think gods come and go and they leave their people and don't keep their promises. We're coming into the wilderness. And God says, when he gets here, I'm going to punctuate this moment and I'll get glory. And Pharaoh and all the Egyptians are going to know finally that I rule. So God leads us to places where we say, uh, if I go there, I have no way out. I, uh, I, I can't solve a problem if it comes up while I'm on the bank of the ocean. Like, if, if an army comes at us from the west and on the east is the sea, and God leads you to that place, and, and you're saying, mm, I'm uncomfortable with this. The nest egg that I had set aside won't be enough to meet provision for this, or, or the plans that I've made, or the, the legacy that I've built up, it's not going to survive. I, I can't protect it now. All sorts of things, like, like we can't we can't let our children go into that like sending children to the middle east to share the gospel oh i can't protect them from here living modestly so that i'm not enslaved to my job but i don't know if i'll have enough i'll be living week to week I won't be able to take care of myself there. And God leads us in those places and says, I just want you and everyone around you to know that I'll get the glory in that. And so sometimes we're led to places we can't help ourselves because it's then when it's most true, God is the one who protects us and provides for us. Psalm 23, 4. Forgive me, 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. Do you know that psalm? That verse? When Pharaoh's rushing down with the most powerful army on the planet at the time to overrun you and slaughter you, God is going to do something that's sort of like putting out a buffet table for you to eat in front of them. And then bless you and anoint your head with oil as his enemy is crushed under the water that he created. Our faith is ministered to in this text. It's ministered to us in the cross-references like Psalm, like the New Testament. It's ministered by the testimony we share with each other. Christian, you don't have to just come to Exodus 13 and 14 and go, oh, God provides. 
You don't have to go to Psalm 23 and go, oh, God is faithful. You can talk to each other and testify. There was a time where I thought God should lead this way. The Via Maris looked like smooth road. And instead, I went way out around here. Like the missionaries I read from, five years it took us to get here. And oh, there was a lot of struggle. And now we look back on the road he led us on and say he was getting us ready for where we are. He was doing what was right, even though it was unpredictable to us. And we're thankful that he did it the way he did. Or the marriage that you're in, in your 30s and 40s and 50s, and you're going, why does this have to be so hard all the time? And in your 60s and 70s, you say, I understand. The physical thing you're going through, I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be kept from doing the things I'm used to doing. Why would, I, why would I spend years being sick or even die? And you get to the other side of that illness and you go, oh. Just years ago, I was sick for the first time in my life. Uh, Kenzie's 11. It was 11 years ago. And I was sick for about a year. I didn't know why. And I had gone in and had all, all the tests. It, tests. Tests are terrible. Terrible. The worst one is when they take blood out of you. Those are the worst tests. They get worse. I thought that was the worst. They get way worse. You ever do the one where you have to drink stuff that shouldn't be drunk by anybody? And then they lay you on a table that tips around to move the stuff in your body? You ever done that test? Oh, just wait. That's a good time. And you go to all these tests, and I'm, I'm 40, I'm 33, I'm 33. Why do I have, not now, at the time. 33, 34, 33, 34. Am I wrong? 11, I know, sweetie, I'm 45 now. I'm talking about the test. Yeah, 10, 11, yeah, okay, all right. Let's close in prayer. The math is tricky. <laughs> And I'm, I'm going through that season. It's about a year long, and I'm, I'm confiding in Christian brothers. I'm like, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm on the Internet. I'm searching symptoms. And I thought I was going to die before I got done scrolling through the Internet. And I remember one day, I was laying in a hospital bed, which I'd never done in my life, uh, 35, 34 years. I'd never laid in a hospital bed. And I was laying in a hospital bed by myself in a room waiting for the next test. And I looked at the curtain that was closed. I thought, that is a weird curtain. Because I've never been alone in a room like this and seen that side of the curtain. I always come through the curtain. And I don't know that I really knew how to talk to the person in the bed well until I had been in the bed a little bit. And I'm still not perfect. Some of you would do a much better job than I would. But I learned a little bit. And sometimes we say, Lord, this path is unpredictable. And then we get through it and go, Oh, you didn't lead me to where all the Philistines were because you knew how scared I would be. You led me with these bones to remind me that my weaknesses aren't going to undo your promises. You led us with your own presence because you knew we struggle with remembering you're with us. 
You led us to a place we couldn't save ourselves to remind us that you are the only one who can save us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His name. Pastor Josh preached last week and referenced Romans 8 that Christ might be the firstborn in all creation. For your name's sake, you have led us this way. That Christ might be the preeminent. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I won't fear the evil, for you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Christ is our direction. Christ is the good shepherd who guides us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. When death and sin had assumed ultimate victory, Christ is our table of provision. And our life is anointed with blessings in His work at the cross and resurrection. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever be united with Christ is to be with the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, this account historically of how you led your people out of their bondage and captivity is a wonderful grace to us. Lord, let these ordinary graces like the reading and the preaching of Scripture minister to the souls of your people. it's very likely, God, that our brothers and sisters feel in various ways right now like they are walking through a death valley. And I pray that the grace of Scripture would give them the assurance to know that you have prepared a table before them in the presence of their enemies. And you are glorifying yourself by anointing our head with oil, blessing us in Christ. So I pray that you would fortify your people, that our joy would be strong, that our worship would be sincere and consistent, and that our testimony of you would therefore be radiant, be active and present as we go from this place to not just gather as the church, but to go and be the church. In Christ's name, amen.